Welcome to Frank Warren's Heavyweight Podcast. I'm Adam Catterall. If this is the first time that you've ever come to us, please hit subscribe on iTunes. You can also do that on Acast so you never miss out on any of our content. We've got a fantastic back catalogue which involves Tyson Fury, Ricky Hatton, Piers Morgan, Ray Winston, Gordon Ramsay. We've had some sensational conversations recently and today's is no exception. This is a real fanboy moment for me because this guy is the reason I'm a boxing fan. In the mid-1990s, there were some sensational fighters around. Mike Tyson, Chris Eubank, Nigel Benn, capturing the imagination. But this guy was a different level. He taught the talk, he walked the walk, and he is doing that exact same thing in this podcast with myself and Frank. The one and only Prince Nazim Ahmed. Right, Frank, this is a little bit of a treat for me because I've told you on many occasions that this is the man that made me fall in love with boxing. The one and only Mr. Prince Nazim Ahmed is on the show. It don't get bigger than this for me, man. Does it get bigger? <laughs> well, I'm delighted. The best fun I had in boxing was promoting and working with Naz. We had some really, I mean, when it was good, it was brilliant. We had the best time and the best ride for a long, long time. It's, it's, and I've got to tell you, I had real good fun with Tyson as well. Similar sense of humour, but, you know, Naz was just a breath of fresh air in the early days, and I, and I loved every minute of it. Listen, we're going to obviously talk about Naz's career and, and celebrate some wonderful, wonderful moments. But talk to me about the first time you saw him fight, first time you met him. Talk me through it, Frank. Uh, first, I see him fight. I've seen some footage of him fighting. I just thought he was, it was just exciting. You know, he had so much confidence. I'm sure, I mean, you can ask him yourself, but a lot of that I would think was instilled in the early days working with Brendan because Brendan, late Brendan Ingle, had quite a, uh, I think he instilled a lot of confidence into fighters. Not saying he lacked it, but he certainly instilled it. Like he'd get guys getting up and standing in the middle of the ring and singing and doing various different things. And Naz was uh, very acrobatic with his back flicks and his dancing in the ring. And the fact he became Prince Nassim Hamid. He had a couple of fights with, I think, uh, Barry Hearn. Then he was with Mickey Duff, or I'm not sure which round it, way round it was. We had probably about four or five fights with them. And then I spoke with Brendan. And I remember Brendan coming down to my house in Hertfordshire with Naz. And we met up. I don't know if you agree, but I, we got on like a house on fire. I loved it. And it clicked for me immediately. And there you had this, this, you know, this young Arab fighter from the Yemen, never been known in the UK. You remember, we're all, you know, that was in itself was a new thing. It's just, I can't even think of another Yemeni fighter. And I thought his personality was brilliant. And we just, as I say, we hit off. And as I'm sitting there, I knew what I could do to contribute to help bring him through. And we'd done our deal. And then our journey started. And, th and this, this young man, confident, brash, confident young man, I knew would take over boxing. I knew he would take it over. I knew he would be massive back box office draw. I knew all those things. And I was surprised that the other guys, the other two I just mentioned, didn't do anything with him. Mm. So I was delighted. And uh, as I say, we, we hit off. The, the meeting went really well and we seemed to get on really well and Frank, he was obviously very capable in what he wanted to do as a promoter. For me personally, looking back on it, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was the best thing that ever happened to me at the time. And I am going to go back on what Frank said for a second 
because it's not like I wasn't known. I was known Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I'd won seven national titles and I came through. I mean, going with Barry first for four fights is right and then we make it off. But obviously, we seemed to, we saw sense and uh, I went with the best. So the start was a lot of fun. Because it's like, where where are you going to take this? And the thing is, I was I was up and down the country. I mean, Frank had got me fighting in a whole heap of different places. And I just remember in Shepton Mallet, that entrance was a good entrance. And it was he was a good fighter who I was fighting in Enrique Angeles. And it was a good, supposed to be a good test. But he got bashed just like the rest. He got smashed, any blessing. What happened? We... Promoted, if you remember, in your hometown, Sheffield, Ponds Forge. Yes, yes. We did, we did show up there, and I remember we did this show. It really was a job for me to get ITV to take it, and I'll tell you now what happened. I told them they could have the show for nothing to get it on, and we put it on, I think it was about 11.30 at night they put it out, because I just wanted to get it out there. And Bob Burrows at that time was really, really behind. And he, he went with what I asked him, what I asked for. And cut a long story short, you've done your debut and they got good numbers for it and people were talking about it afterwards and then I think we did a couple of other fights and you fought Bel Castro do you remember Bel Castro for the European title yeah yeah who was a really good fighter I don't know if he was really good Frank well I'm going to let me finish what I'm going to say he was a good fighter (laughs) and I can remember I can remember you you were standing in front of him you've got your gloves on so you got them on your on your hips and you're standing in yeah. front of him dodging yeah. and all this stuff that's right and especially in the last round and you've done that and he couldn't hit you with a handful of rice he was slipping and sliding and this for me what yeah. boxing was all about the art of hitting and not being hit and I remember the late Hugh McIlvenny saying this is disgusting why, yeah, why is he doing this he said this is awful you know Muhammad Ali wouldn't do this I said what are you talking about Muhammad Ali wouldn't do this I said Muhammad Ali I watched him spit at a fighter he called people Uncle Tom's. He, you know, we went through all the stuff. I said, what are you talking about? But it was a generation thing. It was a bit like my dad. When I liked Muhammad Ali, my dad liked Joe Louis and Rocky Marciano. It's, it was a, it's a generation thing. And they just didn't yeah. get it. Anyway, you, and then Bel Castro, right after that fight, he went on and fought for the world title. I can't remember who it was, but it was in the other guy's backyard and he lost a split decision. So that's who Bel Castro was. Yeah, he got smashed. <laughs> I only had 10 fights, and my 11th fight was for the European title. My 11th or 12th fight was for the European Imagine being champion of Europe in just 11, yeah. 11 yeah. 12 fights. And I remember coming out, I remember the bell ringing in the first round. Within five seconds, that dude was on the floor. Do you remember? Yeah. He's supposed to be European champion. I sat that brother on his pants. But he was tough. But do you, do, I'll tell you what, let me tell you this story. When we, before the fight, Brendan had another couple of kids on the card. And I can't remember who it was, but he had a fight on before Nez for some reason. And he's in the corner. And I said to Bob Burrows, he was at ringside. I said, let's go upstairs and see how it is. So we went up to the change room. And the change room, if I remember Nez, was like a dance room. <laughs> Like a dance <laughs> studio. Yeah, they had a yeah. dance studio. That's yeah, it's a dance studio. And he's in there and he's on his own. There's no one with him. I'm going, what the going on here? He's on yeah. his own. And he was practicing, you know, he, he was shaping up his shadow boxing, moving around. And then he's practicing 
the spins and he said and he said i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna hit willie's shot and it's exactly what he did bob and trevor both of them you know as trevor when bob left and trevor left, they were massive believers in you they were really good for me to work it was an amazing team. It was just an amazing time. And just at them particular stages and all the time, I used to remember speaking to you and, and my dad before the fight, especially my dad, I'm lying hammer and saying to him, what, what round do you want this guy out in? <laughs> yeah. I'll take him out. What, what do you think of round two? Yeah. Round two is my favourite round. I like love just to, you know, shake and bake in the first and then just take him out in the second. Because number two was just a beautiful round. I mean, I don't know. I just, I knocked 11 out. I don't know if you know, I knocked 11 out in round two, Frank. Oh, no, so I should have played I, you right around. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe it was an amazing time for yeah. me, but it was, an, it was a good time for Frank because I don't think that Frank had had many fighters that was going to, Possibly change the face of boxing. <laughs> we brought a new audience. Remember, and I remember, I remember when we thought about how we were going to promote you and market the Prince Nassim Hamid. We did a lot of it through kids' comics, like youngsters, because youngsters were talking about it. I remember my kids at the time, you know, Francis and George, you'd come over the house and all that. I can remember um, the big thing was the Ninja Turtles, and so. They're talking to me about the Ninja Turtles. And I went, and at that time, I, I'd got involved in building a, an arena. We were going to do the tour. We were going to do the Ninja Turtles tour. So we, my thing was, let's get into the youngsters so that they talk to their dads, their parents, and everybody starts to know who Prince Nassim Hamid was. And that's what we've done. And it become a real, yeah. it just become a real phenomenal thing. And everybody, but everybody was talking about it. And it was colourful. The ring entrances, and more importantly, what you did in the ring, and what you did after in the ring. And I remember one interview you did afterwards, I can't remember it was, you knocked somebody out and poleaxed them and you're shaping up and then you said to them, whoever was interviewing, you might be Gary Newbon back then, you're shaping up and I remember you looked in the camera and said, don't do this at home, it's dangerous. And it, like, it, was, just, it, it was good fun. Yeah, I remember that. We was just about to come out. We was in Scotland at the time. Look how I remember, how I remember Frank. I mean, this, I can remember so clear, so vivid, a lot of my career and the the time that you're talking about is we was in Scotland and um, I was about to fight a guy called Sergio Liendo who'd had a really big record and a good record yeah. I don't think he'd ever been knocked out an Argentinian guy I was dancing to this tune that I really loved at the time I want to be down by Brandy and I got the tune on in the background and Gary Newborn's trying to interview me and I'm still like bopping my head like just yeah yeah so I'm listening to what he's saying and I've answered all the questions and then right at the end he says right what would you like to say to the viewers Naz and I said all I'd like to say to the viewers is don't try this at home it's totally professional <laughs> and then the worst thing I mean well not the worst thing Frank's right because with saying something like that, when the fight had happened, I saw Frank was so annoyed at the time because the referee let that fight go on. And I ended, up hitting the, I ended up hitting the guy with this last shot, which knocked him unconscious. And he, didn't and he was need right. That's probably, he didn't need that. And you, I could see it. When I look back on the tape, I, I could see how annoyed you were with the referee because he, he should have stopped that fight. But I ended up, hitting this guy as the referee 
let us fight on and it just knocked him spark out, didn't it, Frank? Bless him. Well, it was wrong. Well, you're right what you're saying. I think it was about two weeks after. Wrong. I know it, it was, was wrong. It was after the Nigel, Ben and McClellan fight yeah. as well. So you thought yeah. the referee yeah. had been more conscious of that. And it was, you know, it's obviously a very sensitive situation at sensitive time. He definitely should have been more cautious. Exactly. And I remember that. I remember he's funny. He's talking about Shep to Mallet. I remember a funny anecdote there was before the fight, just before the fight, you went down to the press room, had a sandwich. All the press are in there, and you're supposed to be in fighting. I think it was an hour later, <laughs> and you walked in there and had a sandwich. I did. And they were like, what the? What's going on? No, what I did was I was in the, um, the changing rooms, but then I said to my brother, I said, listen, I'm feeling a bit peckish. I really fancy a chicken sandwich from McDonald's. You know, I'm a chicken, a chicken sandwich. He went, yeah, I'll just run down the street and get one. He went down, went outside, brought it back, and I'm, and I'm, thanks, right? I went, I'm sure I was around. I was just smashing, munching a nice chicken sandwich before the fight and McChicken sandwich like I was going to the park or something. Or... <laughs> but it was, I really needed that. That's what delivered that fight. Such a good fight that night. That I needed that sandwich, man. We're going to talk about, obviously, the big nights. We'll go to New York and various things that you, you did, Naz. But I want to go all the way back to when you were seven years of age and you start off at the Winker Bank. Talk me through that, that time when... You start, obviously, with the gym being on the same street that you were living. Talk to me about, obviously, going in there and learning the craft. When I look back on it, I've always said it was just the best environment that you could ever be in at the time. I mean, I'm seven years old. Uh, my father took me down there. There was a story that everybody seemed to believe until this day, which was Brendan. <laughs> Brendan was on supposedly a top a top deck of a bus and he, and he looked down because I just lived right next to Winkerbank school where I went to and he seemed to look down there and see this little looking Pakistani kid who was actually a Yemeni an Arab kid uh, and, and, and quite mistaken at them times all the time but he seen this little dude that was fighting seven other kids at the same time and he seemed to be he seemed to be beating the hell out of all of them. And he thought, who is this boy? Look at, look at him. I'm looking at him from... And I just thought, I said, Brendan, one day I went up to him. I said, Brendan, why are you telling people this story? How I started boxing? And his answer was, because it, it creates a lot of interest. <laughs> it creates a lot of interest. And I swear, right until recent. People are asking me about that story. And I say, Brendan, but it's not true. It's just made up. He said, yeah, but it sounds good. And it's, uh... <laughs> but them days, them days walking in the gym, and I just remember that Brendan saying, look, Errol Graham was the focal point of his boxing style for all of us to copy. And we was kind of, it was like clones of Errol Graham, but obviously... I changed my shit up and it just looked a little bit different to everybody else's because there's some immense power shots and split of the legs and where you can really generate some serious power and some serious punches coming from different directions. And I seem to learn my craft from being young in the gym. And just obviously, I bring it down to having a gift. I always said I had a gift from God and I knew how to use it. It was just an amazing time. And I think through having... 67 amateur fights and doing really well 
I couldn't wait to turn professional. I just couldn't wait. But what was funny was, I mean, by the time I got to 16, I was really hurting professionals in the gym. I was really, I was doing a job on them on this. I remember this kid coming down to spa because he was fighting for a British and Commonwealth title. A kid called Mark, Mark Epton, and he was fighting, I think he was fighting Pat Clinton. And um, he didn't have no sparring whatsoever. He was picked for England, and I think he, I'm not sure if he boxed in the Olympics. He came in the gym, and honest, this kid, Frank, he got the biggest beating off me that you could ever get. And that was the first day. And Brendan said, look, the second day is going to come out. He's going to try and knock you out. So you be ready. I found him really easy to hit. <laughs> and um, the kid, blessed him, walked into the showers, and he'd made his mind up in the showers because when he came out, he says, if a kid can do this to me at 16 years old, I shouldn't be fighting for no British and Commonwealth title. I shouldn't even be a professional. I'm actually, I'm finished. He retired there and then that day after sparring. He never fought again. And I was really surprised because in them days, a lot of fighters at that stage of their careers fighting for them kind of titles weren't getting that much in 1990, Frank. Fighters weren't getting that much money and you see I think they were saying he was about he was on maybe £18,000 or something like that I thought why would you just drop that but well, that, anyways, £18,000 pounds then was a lot of money it depends mm. who you are it depends what you bring to the table it's like say some pop band you know one band gets a fortune the other bands you know can be not bad but they won't get the same sort of money it depends on whether the public buy into you or not but that's, growing that's, up growing up Frank in the gym was just the best thing. I mean, for a for a kid being born and brought up in in that neck of the woods, that environment. I mean, of, it was such a clever idea to have amateurs training with professionals, where not a lot of gyms and boxing clubs they did that. They weren't allowed to, were they? And that's, mm. They weren't no, that that's officially. True. They weren't allowed to. So that's it's good true. for you to be in that mode. So we was we was we just sparring constantly. We had this thing about sparring to the body. And um, we always spot to the body. And obviously, now I told you before, Frank, that now and again, a few of them would get hit accidentally on purpose <laughs> round the chops. <laughs> Some now and again, you know, would get a bit of a whopper. It was just an amazing time. Just an amazing time. Obviously, the lad that you were sparring there, that was his realisation that maybe he was out of his depth fighting a 16-year-old kid. But when did you realise that you had this ridiculous talent? Well, at 11 years old, I remember when I started at seven, by the time I got to 11, I was in front of most of the kids that was at 11, 12, 13, because I'd already been training for like four years. And I, I didn't do that much apart from the footwork. The footwork was so important in the gym to Brendan. And Brendan did the best thing and, and laid down the fundamentals of saying, look, you've got to get your footwork right. Your footwork is one of the most important things. And um, we had to go up and down these lines. It was like watching paint dry. It was boring, but it seemed to click something in your head that you had these foot patterns and these sequences like set in your mind that when you was in the ring, you'd use them. Yeah. And, and obviously I was watching Muhammad Ali all the way through. Uh, I was addicted to watching this this video called uh, Muhammad Ali, a.k.a. Cassius Clay. And I love that video. I mean, my whole family used to see me watching it every single day. And they'd be like, 
it's got to be something wrong with this kid. He's watching this video. <laughs> I, I'd memorized every part of it. I'd studied him. I'd studied Ali. I'd studied his mannerisms. I'd studied his, I studied his expressions. I studied the way he fought. I studied the way he flowed. I studied like how he punched. Just everything about him. And I, I just loved the fact how confident he was. I just, I'd never seen anybody with that kind of flair and that kind of... And, and he, he seemed to, to be sure of himself. He said, listen, if you're not the best, just pretend to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like that. I like that. Uh, I mean, now and again, I started playing golf. You know, I think I'm the Yemeni, the Arab Tiger Woods. So I pretend <laughs> I'm so good at... And then the realisation comes in that golf is just totally different, Frank. I love it, but it's totally different. Different sport altogether, obviously. Boxing, for me, it's just so much easier cracking somebody on the end of the nose. And how many times a day were you training then? A lot of people thought we trained um, twice a day, but obviously when we had to go to school and stuff, so we train about two, three hours every day after school, about three hours every day, and Whenever we could train twice a day, we'd train twice a day. We'd even train on a Sunday, train on Sunday morning. But it was just an amazing atmosphere knowing that there was everybody in that gym, you know, from all races. So we'd called each other everything. So the barriers were broke before we even started in regards of race. And comes to think about it, I'm not even surprised at this, but there was five world champions that came out at Jim Frank. Five world yep. champions, and that's no joke. Obviously, Brendan would always say, "Look, we must be doing something right." <laughs> You're just speaking now about world champions, there, right? Let's go to your first world title, Wales, the destination. I'll come to you first, Frank. Talk to me about that, and just being around Naz at that particular time of the fight itself, because it was such a memorable night. What happened was Naz came up a weight, and WBO were the. Uh, it was Steve Steve Robinson, who at that time was a bit like a Cinderella story. You know, he had this, he was sort of started off, he boxed, he lost a couple. He came at last minute for a fight and won the world title. He came with me and he basically was beating everybody. He beat everyone who was around. Colin McMillan, Paul Hodgkinson, real good fighters. And he would have probably been an underdog going into all of them. And he was a very competent and underrated fighter. And Duke McKenzie, who was a three-time world champion. So he was a very, very competent fighter. And uh, Naz was going to go up the weight. He was struggling a bit to make the weight. So he, he went up and he became the mandatory challenger. So we got the fight on. He was contracted for how much he was going to get for the fight, Steve. And uh, Naz, you know, whatever we had deal was, had deal was with him. And I can remember at the time, Steve was sort of a little bit unhappy about how much he was getting paid, although we, the purses were already agreed. And we had a press conference. And I remember that press conference afterwards, we was, having, we was talking. And Naz just walked over and said to Steve, you've got a problem with your purse. Forget about it. I'll put my purse in. You put yours in and win a take all. And this wasn't for the press. This was just the three of us there. And I knew right there and then there would only be one result for the fight. As, you know, as much as Steve, Steve was a really good fighter. The fight was in his hometown in Cardiff, a rugby club or the football club, whatever it was. There was about 15,000, 16,000 people there. Yeah, right leading up to the fight, it was it was really anticipated and the Welsh got really, as you would expect, got behind their man. And I can remember Naz going to the ring as a challenger first and I can remember they were getting some things thrown at him. He, a couple of people were spitting. And so it was a pretty hostile environment for him. And anyway, it was about the fifth or sixth round. He, he unleashed a, a really 
unbelievable combination, but they were all solid punches. It was such a really good, such a great performance, bearing in mind, you know, where we were and what was happening. And he just done a job. And that night was Naz announcing himself to the world. Now, from your point of view, Frank just mentioned there, obviously, the ring walk. That was probably one of the most hostile ring walks I'd ever seen as a, as a kid watching you as a fan. I just remember watching it thinking, geez, he's having to fight on the way into the ring. It was mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember um, somebody, I don't know, there was, there was, first of all, I'm behind like some kind of silhouette or whatever, and I'm, and I'm listening to, it felt like, obviously, there was, I think there were 17,000 people that night, and I could hear them chanting like Hamid, Hamid. Who the fuck is Hamid? And I was like, oh gosh, you guys are going to know who I, who I am when I come out. Because you're going to do two things. You're going to go all silent when I knock the hell out of him. And you're just going to vanish when he gets beat. And as I come out, I come out to this tune, this wicked tune that we'd got. And it was like, I believe. And it was like, it was, that was my night, you know, to to be crowned and it just seemed to come out to this tune and as I got to the ring obviously you know I'm the challenger so I came first and uh, I just thought I love these scenarios where everybody is against you I love the fact that all of you people are going to be so disappointed at how easy I'm going to make this if we was to go back a little bit I just think Frank is a genius and I always thought, years and years after, that he was a genius because how the hell does a fighter fight for a featherweight crown when he's not a featherweight? He's in no ratings as a featherweight. He's in no way can be a mandatory challenger. But look, Frank and the WBO were tight. <laughs> and- <laughs> And I just thought, Frank said to me one day out of the blue, do you want to fight with Steve Robinson? <laughs> do you want to fight Steve Robinson for the world title? I'd never forget it. I was like 21 years old and I'd only had 19 fights. Yeah. Yeah, 20, Nine, yeah. 19 fights. That's all I'd had. 19 fights unbeaten, 17 knockouts. And I'm thinking, on my 20th fight, I'm going to get an opportunity to fight for the featherweight crown, the WBO, the same belt that in, in times before, like De La Hoya was champion and Thomas Hearns and some of the, some of the best fighters with big names held that BO belt at WBO. And I just, I mean, Frank, come on, man. Of course I want to fight him. Of course I, listen, I would knock that kid out. I said, anyway... Frank put it together and before we know it, that night had arrived. And I remember even the press conferences, you know, we were sponsored at the time with Joe Bloggs and then we went with Adidas and it was atmosphere. Like even in every press conference, it was electric. It was, it was special. It was a special time in boxing. I'm not just saying this because it was me, but it was, it was just an amazing time. And then, you know, everybody was saying before the fight, look, Naz, I don't think you're going to win this. I think you're like, you're four. This is, this is, you know, you're in the deep end. He's a big featherweight. You've never even fought a featherweight. He's way more experienced than you. He's just knocked out and stopped 
like Frank said, Colin McMillan, Duke McKenzie, Paul Hodgkinson, and he'd beat John Davison to win the world title. And I just thought, this is my time. God willing, this is written for me to just get in and do my thing. And I, and I, I just waited for him coming in the ring. And I just thought, the bell, the first bell rang, Frank. And I honestly, no word of a lie, I'm not lying to you when I tell you this. Within 10 seconds of the th first round, I thought, is this some kind of a joke? Is this guy this slow? Is he that frightened? Is, is it this easy? Or is Allah just making this very easy for me right now? I'm, I was so taken back. I remember Brendan all shouting the corner and I was that annoyed with his shouting. I turned in the middle of fight and I said, listen, shut the F, shut up. I don't, I don't want to hear that. I'm doing my thing and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I didn't want nobody to spoil it. So I had to turn my corner. And I just thought, this is a joke. It can't be this season. There's no way. And then as the round from the first, second, third round, it was just a pure beating. And then the fifth round came. I mean, I did predict the fourth round, a fourth round knockout. But it was tough. It could take a lot of shots. But the fifth round, I put together a, a four-five punch combination, then put him down. And then the sixth round was another slaughtering, bless him. And then obviously it was over in the eighth. It was just an amazing night. Just an amazing night to have that opportunity. And that's why I just think Frank was a genius to get me that fight. But tell me this: when you were training once, I know you're world champion. You're training. How many times a day were you training and was you running? No, I wasn't running. I mean, like I said, from starting boxing in the 80s, it seems so old now saying that, but from starting in the 80s, I never started running until 1996. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> because I, I know that's funny. But I simply had, I had what you call ring fitness, boy. I had ring fitness. I could stay in a ring for three hours and spar 30, 40 different opponents, even though it was only to the body. That's what I'm saying. We didn't do much head sparring, which was crazy to a lot of people. But answering Frank's question, it, yeah, it was still, it was still, I think, at the time, just maybe once, once a day we was training, Frank. When times came that we could train in the morning, like from 16, Brendan got me a job as a telephone engineer. And I, I worked... <laughs> I, worked uh, I worked um, in town, so I had to catch the bus every day. I was 16 years old, I'd finished school, and... I was winning quite a few national titles then under my belt as an amateur. I was doing really well. But for that gap of 16 to 18, before turning professional, obviously I needed a job. So I decided to become a, a, a telephone engineer. And um, it was one of Brendan's friends. So the guy used to pay me from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 at night. But I'd turn up at 12 and I'd finish at three. So, <laughs> so I worked for two years. One of the things about it was, that's when it happened, Frank, when I was training twice a day because 
leaving school, I could train at 10 o'clock, be at work for 12, finish at three and be in the gym and be training at four o'clock until six or eight o'clock. So at 16, we started training twice a day. But at 16, something crazy happened because I'd never ever used weights punching a hard bag. And then all of a sudden, Brendan said, look, you're going you're gonna to start doing your blows, which was hitting the heavy bag with different combinations in sequence, back and forth, but using, holding these kind of weights, these little weights. It was only like, I don't know, two and a half, three, uh, maybe two kilos or a kilo, two yeah. pounds, three pound weights. And we'd be punching, but you couldn't drop your hands. And within six months of doing what Brendan said on the heavy bag, the punching power went through the roof. Um, and I remember after six months, it was like a weird thing knowing that you haven't got these weights in your hand when you're sparring and it made your hands feel so light. I felt like you could fly and, and it generated, I think, a lot of power. And, and obviously I had big legs and stuff, so I had the power there. Let's go to 1997 then, because obviously you're world champion. You're, you've, you've been doing your thing and now it's time to go and take over America, all right? Uh, and it's the yeah. Kevin Kelly fight. Is it fair to say, I mean, listen, you've given us some wonderful nights down the years, but is it fair to say that when fans see you in the street, when they see you at an event, it's the Kevin Kelly fight that they come and speak to you about? A lot of people do talk about the Kevin Kelly fight. They seem to love that fight. And it was full of surprises and it, it was an amazing night. But yeah, there's, most people do. What are your memories of that, Frank? Because, like I said, as a fan, it's the most sensational four rounds of boxing I've ever seen in my life. But you were around it, you were promoting it, and you were, you were around Naz at the time. At that time, I'd, Don King and I had been in partnership, and Naz's fights had been on Showtime. And the idea was to get him exposure in the States on the channel. But what happened was, uh, I think, we was in Ireland, Naz. Who was it you fought in Ireland? Medina. That's it, Medina in Ireland. And just before the fight, Don told me there was no money. They'd run out of money. The budget had gone. And I was quite peed off. And so, cut long story short, we wound up doing a deal with uh, HBO. Mm -hmm. And when I went out to do the deal, I think it was about, was it about six or seven days before Christmas, Nes? Yeah. Yeah. And was. everyone was saying, you're crazy, don't go there. And I sort of, we sat down and went through, I went through the deal and I said, look, I'll do a deal with you, but you've got to guarantee a certain thing. We want to, have, we want to advertise it. So we want to see him up here in Times Square, there was a big poster, I think, I think it was Lincoln Tunnel, I'm not sure what tunnel it was, but it was a big, big poster over there, all the bus shelters, everywhere you looked, there was Naz, Naz took over New York, it was massive, and we put him in with a Kevin Kelly, who came from New York, so he was the local guy, all the Americans were getting behind their man, I felt that was a good move, there was a couple of things that went on behind the scenes, one was that Naz, I think you had a little temporary breakup with Brendan at the time, and we managed to get him back together again. And then Nick Pitt's book came out, The Paddy and the Prince, and it was uh, he said some some things about Naz in the book, which I didn't agree with at the time. And I told Brendan that, and I, I don't think Brendan had thought they were going to get back together again. But he was quite sorry about what he said, but I think that was the beginning of the end between um, Brendan and Naz. And to be honest, I don't know how Naz quite focused on the fight with what had gone on and what was being said. Anyway, the fight went on. 
the atmosphere was electric in there, ringside. I can remember Piers Brosnan was there. I can remember Donald Trump was there. He was our guest. You name them, they were there. There was a big, big star turnout. Place was absolutely buzzing. And the fight was just an amazing fight. I mean, I was like on the edge of my seat. Naz went on the floor. He got clipped. He went over, got up straight away, got clipped again. He put Kelly down. And it was like they were up and down, up and down for a couple of rounds. But it was just phenomenally exciting. And in the end, he just broke Kevin Kelly's heart. I remember he caught him with a shot. And I remember Kevin Kelly was on the floor and he looked up and he didn't want to get up. He just broke his heart. And uh, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal fight, phenomenal win. I was very annoyed, though, because, you know, he got clipped a couple of times, which happens. But I think with what went on behind the scenes, there were a few things there which I, I don't think were good for him in preparation for the fight, as I just mentioned. You shouldn't have been annoyed, Frank, because that's what made the fight, G. That's what no, made the fight, that. yo. I understand that, but I, I understand I mean, if them knockdowns, wanna... them knockdowns wasn't involved, the fight wouldn't have been what it was. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, you, obviously, you as a promoter and the love that you had, obviously, that's with me. Yeah. You don't want to see you fight it down on the floor, but that's what made it, like the commentators, George Foreman and Larry Merchant said, Frank, this is the Hagler Hearns of featherweight box. <laughs> so just imagine... If them knockdowns didn't exist, though, no, Frank, you're not. You're that, not wrong with from a spectator's point of view. You're absolutely right. But from my point of view, that's not what I want to see from my guy. I don't. I want to see my guy do his job, come out and not get hurt. I don't want to see either of the guys get hurt. I don't want to see you taking shots that you didn't need to take. But I know what happened behind the scenes. And but anyway, irrespective of that, you came through. You've done the business, and you and you won everybody over, big time. Won everybody over. I definitely think that um, for your debut in Madison Square Garden is a huge step. But and then when you think about it in them days, I don't think people honestly really know how good Kevin Kelly was. Kevin was very, very experienced. Um, he'd be a lot of fighters. He'd been on the world champions platform for many, many years. But like I always felt, 97 was a special year for me. I was 23 years old. I just felt like once I knocked this dude out, the whole of America's going to wake up to me. <laughs> um, you've, got, you've got to remember, though, you remember you're in the other guy's backyard, the crowd will be him, And that spurs on fighters. That's why I always like home advantage. And, you know, your two performances, you think against Steve Robinson and against Kevin, you were again in the other guy's backyard. Uh, Adam's right. It, it seemed to be one of the most memorable fights. Um, of my career and one of the most exciting fights and probably one of the yeah. most satisfying. Um, but I spoke to Kevin Kelly a few times and bless him, he said to me, I beat everybody before you, before fighting you. I'd won all the world titles. Um, you know, I went through my career at one stage. I'd had like 40 fights or 41 fights unbeaten. He says, but when I walk the street anywhere in the States, they only know me for getting knocked out by you. I says, well, that, that's not too bad, Kevin. <laughs> Come on, man. You got knocked out royally. You got, you got stretched. By the prince. <laughs> by the prince. Do you remember 
You did the uh, ad with Chris Rock. I did an in ad. In the shower, do you remember? It's like the old psycho scene. He was in the shower. And yeah. a brilliant ad. That was great. The photos were great. David LaChapelle, like the top, top, top photographer. Those great photographs with you, your gloves on fire. Yeah. That was brilliant. It was an amazing time. We went everything, everything, was, everything was top class. It was brilliant. Do you remember the time we went out to the WBO convention? It was at the airport. We're all, there's quite a few of us. I mean, it's been about 10 of us. With Chris Eubanks. Oh, how can I forget it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was friction between you and Chris. Basically, I mean, you know, if I remember right, it was like Chris basically stole your act jumping over the ropes and everything, come up to the gym and see you and whatever. But he had, there was all this stuff going on. I didn't quite understand what it was. We were checking in and he came over and there was words being said. And the next minute, I remember he, he got your belt and threw it on the floor. And he you got flew both it. Of my and belts, I got in the middle. Yeah, yeah and I got in yeah. the middle and I'm saying, hey, it's just right in the middle of the heap, you know, the check-in desk. And, he, and I said to him, Chris, right, leave it, that's it. And I'm sort of looking at him and you're behind me trying to get him. And I said, leave. And he kept on and on. I said, let me tell you something, Chris. I said, if I let him go, remember, this is a super middleweight <laughs> and a featherweight. If you're, I don't want to let him go. I said, if I let him go, I said, there's only one thing going to happen here, Chris, and you won't be winning this. <laughs> and he walked off. <laughs> Frank, I couldn't honestly believe. Well, obviously, he'd just been beat by Joe Kazake in Sheffield on my undercard. Yeah. So I remember saying to him, all I'd said was just these simple little words, Chris, do you like me belt? Well, obviously he just lost it. <laughs> he just lost it. <laughs> he didn't have no well, There was, there was a lot of stuff going but, on between the both of you. Yeah, yeah, there was, there might be, a few, but there was the words that only came out my mouth. I swear to God, I swear to God, Frank, I said, do you like me belts, Chris? And he went, bananas, mate. <laughs> I can't believe it. He got hold of me IBF belt, slung it. He didn't just throw it, Frank. He That's slung right. it yeah. down one side of the airport, got me other belt <laughs> and slung it the other direction. <laughs> And I just thought, what? What? I, just, I thought, how could? Why would somebody <laughs> the belts, my belts, and just do such a thing? And I realised, yeah, but you've just mentioned, does he like your belts? But I said, <laughs> he came squaring up. I said, listen, I'm ready to smash you. He said, listen. He said to me, I remember, remember it clear as day. He said, I will flop you. I will flop you. And I went, I went, listen, I'm in front of you. Bring it on. And I thought he was going to do a move and he didn't. And I ended up throwing the right hand. But I barely touched him. I hit him on, I just caught him in his mouth. And he looked at Frank and he said to Frank, he's cut my lip. <laughs> I thought his hand was going to go up. So I just threw this right hand and it didn't connect properly anyway. But Frank's right. If you'd have let me at him, oh gosh. But we get on now. We get on. There's uh, so, uh, only, only an incident that, that comes to mind. And like, what, the reason I'm saying that is like with Naz, he was fearless. You know, when you think about it, the size of Chris to the size of Naz. Oh, that was nothing. I was sparring heavyweights in the gym. I'm bashing. I was, listen. When you was oh, doing no. what I was doing, Frank, in the gym, and you, I don't know if you ever came in the gym and saw me training or sparring these guys, but I swear to you, and even them would tell you right now today, 
everybody in that gym got smashed up. No matter what weight there was, everybody got it. And that's just the way it was. And I enjoyed it. And it's like, when I got, listen, I was everybody's, I was the best friend of everybody in that gym. When I got under them lights, when I climbed through them ropes, I was a totally different guy, totally different animal. I was, something switched. There was a switch that came on and it was just, you need to get it out of your system. You need to, all the mistakes that you're going to do need to be in the ring that you're training in and you need to try everything. You need to go all out. And if you're going to make mistakes, make them in the gym and make them in that ring. But um, honestly, I'm not just saying this, but I can't remember Frank ever losing one round in sparring. Really? I didn't know Honest, honest, honest. I'm not lying to you. I can't remember losing a round in sparring in the gym. And I sparred with everyone. Uh, like I said to you before, Johnny Nelson's nose got broke. Bless him. Naz, how do you look at how it all ended? I, I seem to have um, a year out after getting beat uh, against Barrera uh, on points. I, j I went to training camp prior to that. I broke my hand and basically put on a huge amount of weight. And then uh, about two and a half stone, I mm. turned up in training camp. And it was just virtually, it was impossible to take off that weight and be comfortable. There. You should have been so, in there. But, but um, we made the decision. You should have been in there. We definitely, definitely shouldn't have been in there. Frank's right. But... When somebody's dangling a carrot as big as it was, and I suppose there's a lot of fighters get dangled that carrot somewhere along in their career and they make the wrong decision. And I was one of them. And I just thought, I just need to hit the guy. I need to hit him solid and I'd catch him and he's probably going to go like everyone else. And I relied on power. But the thing is, I just had nothing. I seemed to feel that Everything was zapped out of me. I was so weak. I was drained. I was weight drained. But I never got stopped. I was able to do 12 rounds with somebody who they said was possibly pound for pound one of the best or the best. And the thing is, when you get beat on points, you don't really feel that you've been beat. The, the only time when anybody really you feel probably you get beat and get beat bad is when you get stopped or you get knocked out. I thank God, I thank God so much that that was to never happen to me and that weren't written to happen to me throughout my whole career. When I look at Lennox Lewis getting knocked out a few times, when I look at Mike Tyson getting knocked out, I look at some of the greatest fighters that have ever lived with the biggest names in boxing, including Leonard and even Ali getting stopped. And you can go through them. Hmm. I'm just so happy and I just think, I was blessed enough never ever to experience getting knocked out. He was training hard, Barrera. Adam, we tried to make that fight a couple of years before. Um, no, it was more than a couple of years. We well, tried yeah, making that uh, fight well, you you went to, years ago. Yeah, he went and fought Junior Jones. And I remember you said you went to watch him. I said to you, don't be surprised if Junior Jones knocks him over. Do you remember? Well, I, I remember. I went to the fight. Yeah, I do. But I remember the fight clearly, Frank, because I was... In the audience, when Junior Jones came out and they both got in the ring, I swear to you, I'm not lying to you when I tell you this, I was sat with Alicia on my right, my wife, and she said to me, Barrera's going to get knocked out. 
And I said, Chad, would you know that? What do you know about boxing? She says, no, that kid. I told her. Oh, you've told her, did you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, he, got, he got knocked out. But he, got, he didn't get beat once by Junior Jones. Twice. He got, yeah. he got beat. Which English fighter beat Junior Jones? Jesus, who was it now? I'll give you a clue. I knocked him out in round 11. Paul Ingo. Paul Ingo, you're right. Well done. He's got the record in front of him. There you but go. Yeah. Barrera had a manager who was a very astute bloke, really knew, the, knew his business. He did not want to fight Naz at all. He wouldn't, nowhere near him. And that fight was supposed to be, if he won it, that we'd got the fight on. But I said to Naz, you know, he's very open to get caught. He came with me eventually, uh, Barrera. Yeah, but Frank, Frank, why did you not get me Eric Morales? Couldn't do it. Why couldn't did you they, not they get me they, Eric they, Morales? Because Eric Morales was made for my style. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric Morales was another guy that was an unbelievable world champion, but he would never fight me. I remember we offered Eric Morales and we also offered Johnny Tapia. We offered these guys more than quadruple amount of what they normally get. These fighters would not fight. I remember, Frank, you don't know this, by the way, but I went to the 55th annual convention, WBC convention in Azerbaijan, where all these great WBC great fighters, champions and former world champions was. And one of them there was Eric Morales, Frank. And I, I tried just to go up to him just to say, hi, Eric, how are you? Whatever. And, and just say, and my, my, my ultimate question would have been, why didn't you want to fight me? But I couldn't even walk up to him, Frank, because the guy gave me a Terry Wogan. Blankety blank. Proper. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't even speak to me. Remember any chat of maybe you and Floyd Mayweather getting it on when he was a super feather around about 2000? Well, that talk only really came when he seemed to realise... See, what you need to realise with Floyd is... Floyd was an amateur while I was world champion. Floyd turned professional in 1996, mm. where obviously I won the world title in 95 and, and throughout 95, 6, 7, 8, all the way through five, six years as world champion. But he seemed to win the world title within a year. Well, after one year, so in 97, mm. he became world champion. Was the fight ever on? The fight was never on. I mean, I was a featherweight. He was a super featherweight. When I look back at it now, I only wish somewhere along the line I would have got a chance to fight him because I think my style and the way I hit, there's no way I'm going to let a fighter get in the ring with me and go 12 rounds and me not clock him. No way. But in 1997, like I said, he just won the world title. He seemed to go up in weight and go up in weight. But listen, he was... He's been a phenomenal champion. We can't, we, we can't, you can't downgrade anything mm -hmm. to what he did. Some of his stuff was a little bit boring with running around a lot. But the fact is, he, for me, he did something in the sport that nobody did. And obviously, commanding and demanding how much money that he was to get was just unreal. Let's not take away from him all of them amazing names that he beat. Mm -hmm. I give him all the credit. He found a way of getting into the ring and barely getting hit. And that's how he wanted to win his fights, especially his later career. He didn't want to risk anything. 
unbelievable uh, defensive genius. But I still think that there was a lot of fighters that fought him that just did not have the right strategy, Frank. I just think that you need to hit the guy's body. The, the guy's head might move, but the body doesn't move yeah. like the head does. And the shortest distance um, between the body and head, you know, it definitely is the head, but you've got to hit the body. You know, he's a great exponent of the, of the art of hitting and not being hit. And that's what he did. I mean, he'd, he'd done it time and time again. Now, why, why did you call time at 28? Because you, you still, many would say you're coming into your prime then at 28. A couple of things, really. Um, I always remember saying at the age of 23, and this is another thing probably Frank would never know, but I remember speaking to Chris Eubanks uh, at the age of 23. And I remember we having a conversation and I just said, I said to him, listen, I'm never going to be one of them guys that fights for too long. If anything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the opposite. I said, because what you've got to realize is I started boxing at the age of seven. When I get to the age of 28, I'm going to finish, Chris. And Chris said to me, how are you going to finish? You'd be world champion. You'd have millions and millions of dollars or pounds on contracts ready to be signed for more fights. Why would you do something like that? And I just said, look, I'm 23 now. I've already been world champion from the age of 21. At 28, I think I'd achieved enough in the sport, earned enough money to get out at an early age and enjoy my life. Because I've been by the, by the age of 28, I'd have been boxing 21 years. Have and you ever missed 10, it? Of course, I miss it. Anybody who was as good as me would miss the sport. <laughs> you could, listen, if you was as great as I was, <laughs> and you was doing things like I was, and you were smashing people with just as heavy bombs as heavyweight power and you had a gift from God and you were able to dance to any tune that you wanted into the ring and, and just do amazing stuff like that and get in and throw combinations with ease. Of course, I miss it. I miss it, like I said, I miss it every day in my life. But I remember listening to Sugar Ray Leonard do an interview once and he said, I like what he said. He said, look, I had my time in the sun and I definitely had my time in the sun and to be the face of boxing at such a low weight class as a super bantamweight and a featherweight in the 90s and to take over the sport, that's what I felt it was like. I felt all the attention was on me. I felt that I had to produce. I loved every minute of it. But when that time came, that time came, it was, it, it was finished. To be world champion at 21 in, in 95 and still be a world champion in 2002 and finishing as a world champion in my last fight, I just felt like I'd achieved, I'd won all the belts, I'd beat some great champions, I'd fought many world champions. Thanks to Frank, I got opportunities, I took them. Frank broke the mould with me in regards of a featherweight getting paid just as much as a heavyweight. I had a blessed career. Um, for me, I had a one-off career. It was amazing. I don't really regret much. Obviously, apart from taking the fight with Barrera, which Frank's right, we should not have took that fight knowing that I'd broke my hand prior and I wasn't in the gym. But things happen. I can only thank Allah from my heart to have a career like that as an amateur and a professional light up the boxing world in a way that 
it wasn't done. I mean, I, I never seen, I'm like, a, I'm not bragging, but I didn't see people, fighters, entertain to that extent and um, putting your balls on the line. To come out with that amount of confidence. Obviously, you're massively different weight divisions. I see that with you and I see that with Tyson. You know, he's a very confident person, confident and comfortable with himself in a dressing room. And, uh, and I'll draw a parallel with the both of you, how you are in the dressing room, you know, relaxed, having a laugh. You know, you're just at ease with it. It's like you're just in, in the office. You know, that's it. It's not yeah. like you're going out and, you know, putting yourself on the line, exposing yourself to the public in big fights, in tough fights. There was never any nerves there. I never see anything like that. I, you know, if the, I'm not saying there weren't nerves. I'm, it was just the confidence level and, and feeling so comfortable in yourself in what you were doing. You two are very similar like that. I suppose it was just, for me personally, it was that, the knowing, the knowing of winning. That confidence yeah. didn't just come from just thinking that you could win. It was how, how I was going to win. Where the opponent's face was going to fall on the floor. How that knockout was going to be. Which punches that I was going to unleash to make such a spectacle. And having in your head that through a lot of fights, you were going to turn it on and you were going to turn it on, especially because one day knowing they were going to do some kind of video clip and video showreel of knockouts and having that in your head in the middle of the fight that <laughs> you wanted to produce something that was going to look, look really good and look a bit special. And I always bring it down to having a gift from, from Allah and being blessed. Yeah. And it's good to be able to know that if you are blessed, really put yourself out there and go for it and go to the, the highest level of, of, of doing what you got to do. How have you dealt with life since boxing? Because obviously things have happened that probably weren't in the plan. So how have you dealt with everything since obviously retiring at 28 years of age? Well, obviously as you get older, um, you get wiser. I've got three beautiful boys uh, 22, 20, and one's nearly 14. We live in a lovely part of the world. I've dealt with it pretty well. I've dealt with it. I mean, there's a lot of fighters that have so much success in their careers, and then when they come out of their career, they seem to they get depressed a lot. I've kept myself. I've kept my. It's, it's all. It's been cool in the gang. Everything's been gravy, baby. You know, now and again, I appear at certain shows, certain fights. I've kept in contact with Frank every now and again. Uh, I love when Frank invites me to the Arsenal. I don't know how they're doing it at the minute. I didn't really want to talk about football. But uh, <laughs> I play a bit of golf. I travel a lot. One of the best things is, obviously, before the whole of this kicked in was what has now. I mean, it was nice to be able to you know, pick wherever we wanted to go as a family and just take the family on some amazing holidays for some you know, amazing memories and moments that we've had. So I'm not going to say it's been the easiest thing ever coming out of a game where you've been very successful because th there is times where you, where you just, you know, whatever you're doing, it's, it's never, ever going to be like what I used to do. But right now, I can honestly say that I'm so at peace right now I'm fasting 
and my stomach's rumbling as we're talking, but I'm all cool. I've been for a nice walk, as I said. It's it's Ramadan. It's a it's a it's a blessed month, and normally in the month of Ramadan, I do fly to Mecca and Medina and do uh, the holy pilgrimage, do Umrah. I'm content within myself. I'm happy. I can't ask for that. I've got possibly the best wife in the world. I'm not just saying that, but I've been blessed with a beautiful wife that's been there from day one. Beautiful kids. And and what can I say? I think the only thing right now is I'm really looking forward to possibly doing a biography, doing a life story mover, because I've we've got some beautiful visuals that need to be seen. I've got some really good stuff that's um, unseen footage because wherever I went there was a photographer my own photographer and uh, a camcorder so we we captured a lot of stuff and backstage so I'm looking forward to the future I'm looking forward to revealing some amazing stuff Uh, and I I just think that um, God willing when the movie comes out and the book I think it'll do really really well but we look forward to it. Listen, Naz, yeah, we won't take any more of your time up now, man. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. You've been an absolute superstar. And thank you very much for all the great nights that you provided down the years. Anytime. 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 It's, uh, when Frank asked me, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't doubt it for a minute. You know, I wish Frank all the success in the world with his fighters. At the moment, I do think that he has got one fight that we spoke about recently. I really do think that he's going to light up the world with uh, some heavyweight crushing power. I love the way he fights. I like the way he punches to the body. I ain't taking anything away from Tyson because I think what he's done has just been phenomenal. He's just His whole comeback, Frank seems to pick them. Frank seems to pick the characters probably the best fighters and of our generation. So, I mean, I am looking forward to seeing Tyson versus Joshua. And I do believe that Tyson is just too fast and too slick caught up with anything with Joshua. And I think that's possibly maybe an easier fight than the Wilder one. And the Wilder was very easy. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I am looking forward to watching Daniel Dubois unfold. For me, I believe he takes he takes over heavyweight boxing. I'm looking forward to that, Frank. And young Dennis McCann, I know you like him as well. I do like Dennis. Dennis uh, Dennis is a good fighter, and uh, he's he's been in contact with uh, my two oldest sons. But he's a um, good good fighter, and I'm definitely expecting him to be a world champion. He's for me. Yeah. That's um, that's probably one of the guarantees of boxing. Him. And Daniel Dubois uh, being world champions from uh, from Frank's camp, but it's been uh, nice nice speaking to you. It's been good. It's been Lovely. good. Stay See safe. Take love, care. Love to Alicia and the family. See you, mate. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. There you go. Hopefully, you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed sitting down and listening to Frank and 
Prince Nazim chatting about old times. Sensational conversation, as of all the conversations that we've been on the Heavyweight Podcast, and you're more than welcome to go back and look through the archive of the likes of Vinnie Jones and John Burko. Some tremendous conversations there, so hit subscribe so you never miss out on any of our future content. And if you'd be so kind as to write us a five-star review, it just helps us with the visibility in the iTunes charts. I need to take a breath after that. Real fanboy moment. I'll catch you next time.